You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Well, this morning, um, even though we were only two weeks into the summer playlist in the Psalms, I'm going to hit pause uh, for a message for... um, our men, husbands, fathers in the room today. Um, I joked with someone afterwards, I said, even though I'm gonna have to, for some of you who don't know me, have to give a couple caveats here, the fact of of valuing women, valuing women in leadership, um, valuing the wife in a spousal role that is not um, diminished in role to her husband. All these things that I've preached on, you can, you know, my words will speak for themselves. You can go kind of search and, and, and look for them. But today, uh, it's not to look away from um, our women and moms, um, but it is to look towards dads, the husbands um, today. You know, do you understand this, that, that life is not the battle of the sexes? We need both voices, right, agreed. Um, but there, there is a war on the masculine voice. Um, it was interesting, again, I had a conversation with a couple people in between services, um, and one was, uh, you know, women never really mind a message directed at men. They're kind of like, give it to them, pastor, right? Um, men, however, check out really, really quickly if I'm just talking to women. I mean, that just seems to be the case. But then, um, because there will be a couple other kind of caveats in here, Um, the idea of this battle of the sexes. Well, I'll get to that one in a minute. However, I will say this. Um, Feminism has shifted from elevating women to deflating men. There's been a significant shift in that. And so, ladies, I'm just asking you to give me the freedom today to to speak to that masculine father voice and its importance in your family and in our culture. Um, and I think this opening video will kind of give a little, a little taste of that. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there, I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now look, we're in the hospital room, she's uh, sticky, and she's baby and all that stuff, and she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up, I start talking to her, and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby, it's okay. (laughs) That was pretty awesome. (laughs) So check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up, she hears my voice, and stops crying, like again. 
but I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Happy Father's Day. And happy Father's Day. That is the power of Father's voice, right? So, so I'm hoping I don't have to keep going back. It's not a diminishing of a mother's voice. It is assigning and looking at, ascribing the role, the power of a father's voice. Voice is an interesting word. At its most basic meaning, it would be a sound made by the human mouth. Um, but as you've witnessed uh, in video from Portland, the calming voice wasn't just sound waves. It was coming from her father. So the power and the impact of a voice doesn't come from the mere vibration of sound waves. The power and impact of a voice comes from the source of the voice. And the vo voice is identity. Voice is identity. And we desperately need culture, our families, our communities, our churches. We desperately need to hear the voice of our Father being echoed through the voice of our fathers. We've entered a time when men are being told that we are the least needed people on the planet. In fact, we're being told we're the problem. And if you're a white man, you're actually being targeted as the enemy and the cause of most of societal ills. But gender and race are not the enemy. Neither are they the savior. We have an enemy and we have a savior. And it, they're not attached to a race or a gender. According to Wikipedia, the traits traditionally viewed as masculine include strength, courage, independence, leadership, and assertiveness. I love that definition of masculinity. Independence, strength, courage, leadership, assertiveness. These are found in men of all shapes and sizes. So kind of in the 70s, maybe even a little early 80s, we had the Marlboro Man. I don't know if anyone remembers the Marlboro Man, right? So you had the cowboy, rustic cowboy, hat down kind of over his brow, cigarette in his mouth, boot with spur against you know, the tree, and that was the definition there of masculinity. The interesting thing is that changes all over time and culture. Um, it's not about what this looks like, it's what's intrinsically within a man. So pastor, you're saying that women don't have those traits? No, absolutely women have those traits. Strength, courage, independence, leadership, and assertiveness aren't exclusively male, but they are intrinsically male and father. And the voices are different. We need both voices in our families. But there is a real societal push to squelch the father's voice, to render it as irrelevant. But once you get outside of the academic 
philosophical echo chambers into real life studies, you find time and time again the impact of the presence of a father's voice and the impact of the absence of a father's voice. Um, and no doubt, I think the blurring of gender lines can be connected to trying to diminish and eliminate the role of the masculine voice identity that God has given men. And it's a reaction to men not using their voice and identity in the manner God designed and commissioned it. And so one, one person in between services framed it this way, you, you, and it was best I've ever heard it framed. Now you know that I, I don't take political sides in here. Right? My, my position here is that if the church doesn't run in their lane, then no one will backfill it. So, so we have to, I have to, as your pastor, run in this lane. I said that I'm not left nor right. God doesn't take sides. God is a side. Right? But it's interesting. This is how the gentleman phrased it. Culture has made um, political the things that are moral. And, and, when, and when culture crosses into, when political crosses its, gets out of its lane and starts driving in the moral lane, I don't have a choice but to speak into that. And I hope that you can hear those things, not through a left ear or a right ear, but you can hear it as if someone trying to humbly stay true to what I believe the word of God says. Um, now, have men used their position and their power to take advantage of people in situations? Yes. But power is the culprit in those regards, not gender. I see plenty of people in power, regardless of race or gender, take advantage of people, which makes power the problem, right? So sin is sin. It's not just toxic masculinity. Power misused becomes sin. Christ-infused masculinity lifts people up. It defends the defenseless. It protects the vulnerable. It leads the way, clears the way, provides the way for a thriving family, church, community, and country. And so, gentlemen, for us today, let us find our voice. One of the best way for me to articulate discovering and leading with the Father's voice is to reverse engineer the most inspiring father leader speech given in history. We find that in Exodus chapter 30, or Exodus 24, 14 through 16. I'll come back with the context. But the text says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day with whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I can't quite do it in the Braveheart manner in which I believe it was, it was given that day, but it's a Braveheart moment. And not from an A-lister. I mean, Joshua is not an A-list patriarch. He's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's neither Moses nor Aaron. He's Joshua. He's a guy in our first introduction to him. He's introduced to us as a, a young aide to Moses. But the context of this passage now is he is at the end of his life. He is near his 110-year lifespan. 
He was around 30 when he was one of 12 men to go and spy out the land, to see this land that was promised to them and to see what it was like and to kind of figure out how do we get in here. And he was just two of 12 that came back and said, yes, I agree that this looks daunting and yet this is what God's given us, let's go. And he had to endure a nation turning against that. And then he spends 40 years paying the price everybody else is paying, fighting those battles, living those, 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 uh, those lives, those days. And then he comes to a time when he's the one challenged and commissioned to go in. And he spends 30 years leading a people in um, victory of this land that's given, but they still had to possess. And so what we're hearing from this is a man of experience. He is battle-hardened. And he stands and looks over a new generation that didn't plant a vineyard and didn't build a city. And he's telling them, you are about to enter into a whole new way of life. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to serve the gods our fathers served while we were in Egypt? Are you going to serve the gods of the nations that we just punched in the mouth? I mean, because in, this, in, this, in that cultural setting, my God's stronger than your God if my God beats your God, right? If I beat you, my God's stronger. So just in a very cultural sense, societal sense, we've just waylaid all these nations. Are you going to serve those gods? Or are you going to plot out a course with our God? That's the challenge that he's laying out. That's his history that he's recounting when he stands in front of the people. Um, in our day and time, this family declaration might sound presumptuous. How can he speak for his family? The decisions have to be made individually by each member of the family, don't they? Well, in ancient cultures, oddly enough, that really wasn't the case. The patriarch made the decision for the family. The family followed the patriarch decision. And even in some Eastern cultures today, that's kind of the path. And that really messes with our Western sensibilities, right? However, um, it doesn't speak to the improper dominance of a man in their family. It speaks to the authority and the responsibility that's given to the husband and the father. I, I wrote it out this way, right? Because everyone still has to make their own decisions. I get it. Um, but here's how I wrote it for us dads. My children might not follow my path, but it won't be because they don't know where I'm going. Our kids might not follow us in our faith. You might not have followed your father or mother in their faith. But let's not let it be to the, any ambiguity on our parts as husbands and fathers. Society has fallen so far away from God that we can take children to drag shows to broaden their cultural horizons and to increase their social sensitivities. But taking them to church is to force religion upon them. My father was not a churchgoer. You know how much I, I love my dad and respect my dad. But my dad was not a churchgoer. He wasn't a spiritual man. And that day, he would have really been called um, a man's man from everything, he, what he drove and what he fixed and how he acted and lived. Um, he was a man's man. I'll, I'll get my, one, of my, one of my memories of my father, and this, is, this goes under the category of too much information, but, you know, here it is. 
um, I don't know, I, was, I couldn't have been more than six years old. And I'm getting ready for bed and I'm putting pajamas on. And he's walking past in our shotgun house. He's walking past my bedroom to get to his bedroom. And he sees me, he says, what are you doing? I said, mom gave me these new pajamas. I'm putting on pajamas. He says, men don't wear pajamas. Take those off. <laughs> and that stuck with me. And still, don't, don't wear pajamas. That's the too much information piece right there. Um, <laughs> Um, and then when I was in middle school, getting a middle school age in the, in the uh, early 70s, I guess, mid-70s, um, men wearing necklaces and stuff started becoming, becoming a thing. And I remember I found, I found one. I found a chain. I don't know if it would have been considered jewelry, but I found it. So I, I put it on one day and I showed up at work and he said, what is that around your neck? I said, Dad, come on, get with it. It's a necklace. He said, no, no, take, take that off. Take that off. That, those, are, those are my experience of my dad having the impression of what it was going to be to be a man. And I was going to fill that as best as he could dictate it. But my earliest, earliest of all early memories of my father. And I, I, couldn't, have, I couldn't have been three or four years old. But I distinctly remember standing on the commode lid in our one bathroom house and him tying my shoes and putting a coin in my hand and telling me to put it in the offering when I got to church. Sundays was the, the dad in Sunday. The, the, my dad worked six days a week. And, but Sunday, he didn't go to church. He wasn't going to go to church. I was going to go to church. He wasn't going to go to church. But when I got home, when I got home from church, he would be on one couch and he'd have a bag of potato chips and he'd have a Coca-Cola. And he'd have waiting for me on the other couch a bag of potato chips and a Coca-Cola. And that was our dad-son time. I, to this day, I can eat an entire bag of wise barbecue potato chips. He, he showed me the way. I mean, I... <laughs> and still be able to eat lunch. I mean, gosh, Gina and I have been married 32, 33 years, and I'll be snacking on something before dinner, and she just has stopped now saying, it's not going to impact your dinner, is it? No, no, it's not. I can still eat dinner, and I can still have my snacks before dinner, too. But then it would become Sunday night. And Sunday night, I always lobbied, Dad, Mom, let me stay on the couch with Dad and watch the wonderful world of Disney. And Dad would say, get up, you're going to church with your mother. Now, it sounds odd coming from a man who did not have a relationship to Christ who he was much, much, much older and probably still didn't even know that God loved him. But he outlined for me in those moments something pretty significant. I, I'm sure my mom would have loved to have had a more active partner in raising their son spiritually. But what she didn't have is she didn't have an adversary. She didn't have an adversary in it. She saw... Um, someone that valued that, and he was doing, dealing with his, his own demons. So my spiritual conviction didn't come from a father. It came from my mother, but it wasn't hindered from my dad. So where, where does Joshua get this bold spiritual conviction to stand up and say, this is what my family's going to do? So I want to reverse engineer it um, to figure out how we get there. Um, so his bold spiritual conviction... We can trace it back so it's fueled by a courageous faith. 
And we can trace his courageous faith back to a spiritual commission. And we can trace his spiritual commission back to a spiritual hunger. Okay, I wrote it prettier on the screen, but that's the essence of what I'm trying to say here. So in the second mention of Joshua's name in scripture, here we have this account. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to camp, but his young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Did you notice that? When Moses would go, they were afraid. People, they were afraid of, they were afraid of meeting with God. Uh, for rightly so. Most, most of the time they were on the wrong side of what God was wanting them to do. And yet, it's a, I thought about this. We know nothing about Joshua's, jo, uh, Joshua's parents. Um, basically, you could say he had none. A little, little biblical humor. Just, just uh, ask someone younger than you later and then you'll... Um, but he had Moses. And the people knew when Moses had met with God. It shone on Moses' face in some instances. They wouldn't go any further but to the end of their tent. But his young aide goes with him all the way to the tent. And when it's said and done, why does Joshua stay at the tent? Joshua stays at the tent because he wants what Moses has. And he knows where it is. God comes down and meets Moses there. So I'm going to go with Moses there. And when I'm off shift of being aid, I'm staying there. The idea of having a bold spiritual conviction for our families and our churches and our communities and our country will always get traced back at its roots to a hunger to be in the presence of God. Amen. That there is this, this desire to be in proximity to him. But that gets demonstrated. He, he sees what that, he sees what that does for Moses. He sees how it's changed Moses and he he wants what Moses has. Not all of us have grown up in a way that we could see a man in front of us and say, I want what that man has. This is why I was very thankful for my father of not making it seem unmanly to want to be a spiritual man or to be in proximity to God. But he blazed no trail for it. And you may be sitting here today, gentlemen, and no one has blazed a trail for it. And so you're kind of on your own to kind of fumble through what does it look like and how do I get there? And I know I want something and I don't 
really know what to do with it. It's why a men's ministry in a local church is pretty significant. Men, we don't do relationships very well. We do ourselves well. We do rows okay, but we don't do circles very well. Our wives do circles, our ladies do circles really well. What what I've loved about even the men's breakfast, which is the most entry-level, shallow end of the pool here of men's ministry, is once a month, Saturday morning, in that room, we do a devotion and we get in circles. And I've always been amazed at how quickly the men will engage, these men, most of, a lot of you men, will engage in conversation around difficult and hard things. The enemy likes to separate us out, keep us in over our heads, and then when we fail, tell us how bad we are at being a man or a husband or a father. We, we need other people to speak life into that, as well as carve out our own path and our own relationship with the Lord so that we can, we can change from the inside out. Um, I like routine. Um, I, I thrive well in routine. So I know there's a lot of people who don't, right? There's, you know, you, you creative people, you can't spell routine, right? But so, so I know there's highly creative people who don't like routine. I, I live well in routine. Um, and I, I, I'm challenged with it in the mornings in, anymore, right? Um, I told you that I'm trying not to pick, pick my phone up, right, is the first, first thing I do. It's, so my new routine that I'm working on is, so I, I just, for, for me, I say up at six, out at seven, in by eight. Up at six, out by seven, in by eight. So six o'clock, I want to be up, but I want to be out of bed. By 6.30, in that between that six and seven time, there's a chair in my home office that that's where I want someone to be able to find me if you're looking for me at 6.30 in the morning. That I'm, I am in that chair or kneeling out that chair in prayer. At seven o'clock, I'm going to be eating bacon and eggs somewhere. All right? Somewhere. So out at seven, I'm eating bacon and eggs somewhere. Um, but, by seven, but in that 7.30 slot, I'm, op- I'm in my Bible and I'm reading in my Life 180 plan. So I spent my time in prayer at six. I spent my time in the world at seven and by eight o'clock I'm in my chair looking to how do I lead Gateway Church, right? Um, But you know what? Um, Willpower runs out of power for routines, right? It's because we, it's why we always start new routines. What will keep a spiritual routine moving is hunger. It's hunger. It's a, I want, I want to be different. I want the day to be different. I want my family to be different. I want my church to be different. I want my community to be different. It, it's the hunger. It's hunger at its base level is a dissatisfaction to where you are presently. It is, it is I know there's more there. And I want to get it. And for me, the way I get it, if you will, is routine. Right? God is not a moving target. He's not a moving target. We're the moving targets. (laughs) So when we can stop moving, we have a better chance of hitting the target. So I have these three bullets. It takes spiritual hunger to develop a spiritual routine. A spiritual routine will produce spiritual health and strength. It just will. 
It just will. And it takes emotional discipline to be consistent with the spiritual routine. Um, we do something with men's ministry called uh, CLC. It's uh, Christian Leadership Concepts. It's a two-year, intense, module-based discipleship deal, Friday morning, 6 o'clock. Um, dozens and dozens of men have been through it already. There's one in it right now. And I remember starting that years ago. Two years, every Friday, 6 o'clock in the morning, means two years every Friday at six o'clock in the morning. So there are plenty of times on Friday where you don't want to get up and be somewhere at six o'clock. And I remember the first time Gina said, you really do need to get up. I like you a lot better after you go to CLC. <laughs> and we've had man after man after man after man testify that their, women, their wives have said the very same thing. You're, you're a lot better when you get up and go, right? Emotional hunger. All right, so where does he go after the emotional hunger or the spiritual hunger? It goes to a commissioning. So Moses is going to die. Moses is not going to lead Israel into the promised land. He knows that. He's been told that. He gets near the end of his life, and in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses addresses Joshua. So then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He is being commissioned to take this people and lead them these next 30 years. And the commissioning doesn't come with, I know you got it in you, son. Good luck. It's God will go. You were, you've been chasing God to have the kind of connection to God that I have to God. You have that. He's going to go with you. And he lays his hands on Joshua and he prayed. And it said, now Joshua, son of Nun, when you get to Deuteronomy 34, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. A commissioning, a rite of passage. It's your time now to lead Joshua. And Joshua is able to step into that moment and he's able to lead in that moment because he has lived in all of those moments with Moses. And then he has heard and experienced and felt a commissioning to go do. And how intimidating, how intimidating must that have been for Joshua? Moses, and Moses had said that he talked to God face to face as a friend or vice versa, God talked to him as a friend. We have David that has a, a heart, a, a man after God's own heart. We don't get descriptions like that through the Bible. <laughs> David and Moses gets descriptions like that, right? So, so how intimidating Joshua must have been. And yet jo God speaks to Joshua directly. We read this in Joshua 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, 
from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And he goes out and does it. About five verses down, it said he sent people around to everyone and said, hey, in three days, get ready, we're moving. I love that. I love that. I mean, I think he would have done it like right then, except you're trying to mobilize about a million people. It takes three days, okay? And so three days, get ready, three days, and we're moving. So when we get to the place where he's standing in front of the nation to tell them as far as I'm concerned and as far as I lead, my house will serve the Lord, comes 30 years of battle-hardened experience. His courageous faith gets built because he gets everybody moving and God continues to honor his promise. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you wherever you go. And now the man looks back over the course of his lifetime and he sees the hand of God and he can say unequivocally, you, you gotta make your choice, but I've made mine. I've made mine. Come on up, team. Hunger leads to commissioning. Commissioning leads to courage. Courage leads to conviction. And gentlemen, fathers, your family, your church, and your community need your voice. We need you to stand up, to speak up, to lead up. Your voice matters, and the more people who tell you that it doesn't, the more your inner voice says that you don't matter is a clear indication that it matters all the more. If you fill over your head, that's a good, that's a good starting place. Many times we do not reach out for anyone to follow or anyone to come alongside of us until we feel like we're in over our head. I remember when Annie was born. Um, that's what I remember feeling, being, feeling completely in over my head. This is an interesting thing about mothers and fathers thing. A mom, you get used to your child for about 40 weeks. You get a head start. Me, I'm just figuring out how to pay for everything. Right? And then you get the Michael Jr. moment and the baby's crying on the table and the nurses and doctors are doing things to the child that you think is going to break them. And um, they don't break. But it was in that moment, Annie's on that table where I went, oh crap. <laughs> I'm a dad. What do I do with that? I've seen this in three decades plus of ministry where Kids circle back to the place they knew God was in church when they start having their own kids. It's amazing what a reality check it is when you have children to realize that you don't know everything. 
um, something that you jettisoned in your teens and 20s. Uh, it comes back and you go, wow, what am I to do? on the masculine voice is because it matters so much. The, the, the war on the, the male voice matters so much. The role of a father and a leader, it matters. Again, it doesn't mean that women don't hold the characteristics that was listed under masculinity. It just means that they're intrinsically woven into a man's heart. This is why it's being so challenged culturally because if we can eliminate, and sometimes it's not just chopping the legs out underneath us gentlemen, as much as making us feel like they're not there. That we don't have anything to stand on. We don't have anything to offer and yet you do. And your family needs you, our church needs you, the people around need you and I wanted to push pause on the Psalms to look you in the eye and say be strong and courageous for your Lord God goes with you he will never leave you or forsake you and he will give you every place you put your foot will you hold a strong conviction I don't know if anybody's going to follow me, but I'm not going to leave any doubt to anyone where I'm going. And you may have never had, some of you, I look around the room of both services and I see you actually with your, your father and he's a godly man. I don't know all of the years of your life with him, but I would know some years and know he's a godly man and someone has blazed the trail. But I also know there's people like me wasn't an obvious choice of who to follow. And you find yourself at a place where you have, there is a mantle of godly leadership and you don't know how to wear it. It's going to all start with spiritual hunger. And you've already demonstrated that because you're not at the lake. Right? Mother's Day. I want everybody to go to church with me. Father's Day, I want everybody to grill out with me at the lake. I mean, it's just, it's a natural thing I've witnessed over a couple of decades being here. You're not at the lake. So there's a draw. And I want to pray for, and I want to commission, not just, not just maybe if you haven't had anybody to do this for you. And it's not that I'm your dad or that I'm anything special. But I am the Joshua for this body and I want to lay hands on you with other men and I want to pray for you I want to pray you would lead in confidence and strength that God's given that you can lead with that bold conviction so I'm going to ask you to do it right now men husbands fathers men would you come forward just line up as best you can across here or or go on out if you'll do if you'll do this and take that that step some from our men's ministry are going to pray for you but I'm going to pray for you too I'm going to start on one end and I'm going to go to the other as 
best you can. Straight across, going up the, going up there. Going up the, uh, the wings there. And I know you, you gentlemen playing. And I know there's other men that play and lead and it seems like we have women who lead us in singing so well every week and, and you stand behind and I want to pray for you too for that strength and courage here, here are the words of the Lord I want you to hear this comes out of Joshua God looks at Joshua I believe maybe in the eye and he says be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen, amen, and amen. And I'm going to lay hands on you pray. I think Chanel, some other men are going to be in here praying. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to sing too. And we're going to speak Jesus over everybody today. But let's take this moment and We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.